Luke chapter 13 is where you should be, and I'm going to read it, and then we're going to start. This may sound very familiar to you because I've read it to you three, four, five weeks in a row. <laughs> Here we go. Verse 6, he also spoke this parable, and here it is, a story, a parable. In order to illustrate a principle, Jesus would tell stories. Here's this one. A certain man had a fig tree. He owned it, and he planted it in his vineyard. That's his property. And he came seeking fruit, rightfully, but he found none. Disappointing. Verse 7. And then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit from this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? That's what needs to happen. But, verse 8, he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. One verse of chapter of the next section says this, and now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And that's all we're going to get through today, but I'm going to give you some thoughts now on this portion of scripture where Jesus tells a story to undergird a principle that he's been teaching to the masses for upwards of three years, according to the illustration. For three years, he's been looking for figs, looking for fruit within Israel. This is the people of God, the people that had the book, the Old Testament. They knew the law. They knew the prophecies. They knew what was going on. And so Jesus shows up. He's like, you guys been reading? Oh yeah, dude, we've been reading. You've been ready? Oh yeah, we've been ready. You've been making fruit? Not so much. And there is a proclivity within each one of us to read and to think that we're ready and yet when the fruit inspector comes to lift up our leaves and to look for some figs, there are none. That's what the illustration is all about. That there is indeed some growth, some leafy activity, some leafy branches. We call that religion. You call that church. You call that your own life, busyness, whatever you want. But it's not real fruit. And so Jesus says, look, here's the deal. I'm looking for fruit. Talked about this last week. Fruit matters. Performance matters. Progress matters in this Christianity, and should I say, in this assimilation of grace. God's given to us grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, period. To do what? Well, the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. The grace of God wraps its arms so firmly around us that we're convinced of God's love for us that it compels us then to do different things. Has this happened to you yet? Have you been so loved by God? You're like, what am I doing? Why would I maintain this thing? Why would I continue here? Why would I stay there when God loves me so much and the love of Christ compels us to move forward? That's the whole idea. And this doesn't just happen when you get saved. Okay, it does, did happen when you got saved. But it also happens after you got saved that you continue to grow in what? Grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So here's my question. How are you guys doing right now? How's everyone doing? Give me an answer. You guys doing good? You doing good out there? How are you really doing though? Let's just be honest. Because life gets nutty, does it not? Thank you. Honesty from the right. Just straight bonkers sometimes. There are days of just monotony and just normalcy, weird days. And there's days that are a little foggy and a little funky and you know, a little overcast. We call that summer here in Newport, you know. And, and, and there's just days that are kind of downright difficult too. Like you're thinking, is this for real? I don't know if I can sustain this whole thing called life or marriage or parenting or singleness or, or being a nay. I can't. And there's, there's other days, let's be honest, that are legit. Right, other days where you're just, this is so fun, I just feel God's presence, I see God's fruit, I know what's going on. But if you've lived a couple years, you've realized that there's a cycle of life, okay? There's the weird days, the funky days, the hard days, and the great days. 
And it's all part of that cycle of life that continues, listen, to conti- listen, listen, that continues to produce fruit in you and me if we submit our lives to the sovereignty and will of God. Every single person in the whole world is going to have funky days, weird days, hard days, bad days, and good days. We all get the same. We all get the same. The difference between people as individuals is not whether you have a good life or a bad life. We're all going to have life. The difference is, are you going to submit your life to the will and to the sovereignty of God and to say, yes, Lord, whatever you want? Like Job said in chapter one when he lost everything, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And he submitted his life to the will of God and the sovereignty of God, okay? A lot of people think that if I start to follow Jesus, life will get real easy for me. I don't know why you would think that. Like, what TBN broadcaster are you watching to think that? Everyone who follows the Lord's going to suffer, is what the Bible says. Everyone who desires to be godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And when you shield up and put your armor on, the devil's like, what? And the devil begins to fight after you, and the battle becomes very real. And I just I say all that to say this. Life's tough. It's crazy sometimes. It's difficult, but it's also great. It's a beautiful, difficult reality that we live in. And the entire time, God wants to produce fruit in your life. That's what the illustration here shows us. And we talked about it last week along with repentance. I'm going to speak just about repentance a little bit more today because I think there's some more repenting that needs to happen and some more fruit bearing before we then move into the next portion of our scripture into verse 10 and beyond. But the process of growing and changing and bearing fruit, as I just mentioned, is both beautiful and very hard. And I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it's just awesome. Okay, I mentioned this before. How many of you guys garden? You guys garden? Yeah, you, you plant stuff in the garden, you know, and some of it dies. You know, some of it grows weird. Some of it gets bugs, you know, and the snails come out and all of that. You have to water that stuff, you know. And it's, just, it's, just, it's, a, it's a bunch of work. But then when you're sitting at the table... You know, and you're eating your leafy vegetable salad, you know, and you got the fresh strawberries and the you know, sliced cucumber, and you go, man, this is worth it. But it's not without all of the difficulties of life. And so that process of growing and changing, bearing fruit, that's what we're doing here. And uh, how many of you guys want change right now in your life? Just a little bit, like you want change. I'm not saying change for like a dollar. I'm saying like, you want, you know, you want change. Like, I want some change. Okay, we all should want some change. If you don't want change, a couple things going on, but we'll talk about that later. Here's the question, though, but are you, are you willing to see change in your life in order to see change in your life? Okay, we want change without the change, don't we? I mean, I'm, I'm honest with you. We all would love to do nothing different and yet yield a different result. That would be so legit. Do nothing different. Eat the same, spend the same, study the same, and yet get better. Okay. There's no, we, I, would, I wish I could just tell you that. I would, just, I would hand over a fist. I can't. You have got to change something in order to see the change in your own life. It's just the rules. It's just the rules. Body, body mind, or spirit. Okay? I got three kids, and I'm trying to teach them this concept of body, mind, spirit. Their, their body, their physical temple. It's important that they grow, that they eat right, they exercise. I'm trying to teach them that as their dad. But not just that, but their mind. Okay? We homeschool our kids. When I say we, I mean my wife homeschools our kids. Okay? Just so you all know how that works. You know? I pay for the curriculum, and, I, and she does the magic. And so we homeschool our kids, and so their mind, it's up to us to instill in them this, this value of intellectualism and study and prowess and growing so God can use you. But then there's also your spirit, body, mind, spirit. That's your spirit, your soul, that you take care of it, like Chris Pratt said so beautifully. That we grow in the grace of Jesus and we submit our soul to the Lord and let him then do in us beautiful things. So we want change, 
But how many of us are willing to change to see that change? And, you, and we don't want to be held accountable, at least I don't. I don't want to adjust. As a matter of fact, I, most of our culture today wants a hall pass and a participation trophy, and they want to win and yet do nothing to get there. They, they actually want to do wrong and do bad and make stuff up and still get the hall pass and the trophy at the end and be called winners. And we make fun of the millennial generation in that regard, but it's all of us. We, none of us want to adjust, but we all want to be winners. We all want the trophy. We don't want to do the hard thing, not naturally. And we justify our rebellion, and we write it off as something other than sin, and yet God calls it sin and rebellion. The Bible teaches us, you Bible students know this is similar to witchcraft. It's just not okay, rebellion. I'm just going to do it my own way. I'm going to justify it. I'm going to come up with my own thing. I'm going to just stay here away from the Lord. He says, that's just as bad as witchcraft. And most of us in here probably wouldn't sign up for witchcraft 101, you know what I'm saying? Like if they're teaching it at the college, like I'll do a little witchcraft. Like most of you in here are not going to do it. If you do want to do that, stop it. Okay, just so you know. Just stop, just so you know. I actually taught on that a couple months ago and I offended somebody. They thought I was wrong. I was like, I don't know. Let's have a talk over here. But rebellion though, the Bible says is very similar. Rebellion in our hearts. And we are so good at justifying stuff. You know what I'm saying? We, we, We call it something different. The other day my wife made homemade chocolate chip cookies. You ever had homemade chocolate chip cookies? Now, there's nothing wrong with the Nestle Toll House, the little, you know, sleeve. And those, those are great, too. But homemade chocolate chip cookies, man. And my wife, you know, she's a very strict eater. She, she didn't even have one. I'm not even sure why she made them, you know. And she asked, what kind of cookies do you want? I'm like, who's talking? What's ha- You're not going to get any, you know. And she offered four or five different kinds. Not, none of them were chocolate chip. And she just finally asked, what do you want? I said, chocolate chip. And she's like, oh, okay. And so the next thing I know, there's chocolate. And so I ate like eight or nine, like in, a, in one sitting, you know, on a Thursday. And, and the next day you wake up, you're just feeling kind of wrong, you know, in all ways. But, but there's more. There's more. And you feel obligated to not be a sellout, you know. And so for breakfast, you have some more cookies. And, right? You've done this. Don't laugh at me. And on, on like Friday or Saturday, I just started feeling just sluggish and tired and sore and lazy and depressed, you know, and you know what's crazy? You know what I wanted more than anything else? Chocolate chip cookies. Last night, I'm studying, and I said, hey, honey, got, got any more than chocolate chip cookies, you know, and there's some in the fridge, and, and I, would, I was I shouldn't have any more, and there's dough still she could have made, but it was so cool. My wife stood up. She goes, you want me to make you one of your protein drinks? I drink these pro- protein drinks, you know, to stay strong. And, has, and I said, oh, that's exactly what I really need. And so she made me one of those while I was studying last night, and they didn't get any chocolate chip cookies, and praise the Lord, I'm breaking that addiction, you know. And, but I, but if, if she would have gotten up and said, I'll make you some, I would not have stopped her. You know what I'm saying? And, and then that would have been... Sluggish today and tired and diabetic and all that stuff, you know. Here's the deal. Here's my question. How good are you guys at justifying your sin? You, you know, spiritually. Cookies, that's a different subject. But, but we're so good at it. We can, even, we can even embrace a little bit of the attributes that sin produces. Like, I'll just deal with that. I'll just handle that. This kind of unease in my gut or this, you know, spiritually... I'll just be lazy for a second. I'll just, I'll just, you ever, don't raise your hand. You ever make that compromise within your mind? Well, I'll just do this. I know it's going to suffer. I know I'm going to suffer. It's going to cost me something. It's offensive to God. It's offensive to everyone, but I'm an adult and I can handle it. And you wouldn't write that out on paper, but you'd make that decision so fast. I read this the other day in the paper. This is four weeks ago, San Francisco. 
uh, in the Chronicle. Uh, they, they, the mayor just created 10 new jobs in San Francisco. It just started two weeks ago. 10 new positions of employment, which who doesn't want new jobs? New jobs, full-time jobs. Here's the, here's the article. San Francisco Chronicle reports. San Francisco hands out more free syringes to drug addicts than New York City, which has 10 times the population. They hand out 400,000 syringes a month and growing in San Francisco. The San Francisco Department of Public Health oversaw the distribution of an estimated 4.5 million syringes last year through various programs aimed at reducing HIV transmission and other health risks for injection drug users. Many of the needles wind up discarded on city streets, parks, and homeless encampments, and they cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to retrieve. So this year... To solve that problem, the city is on track to hand out upwards of 6 million syringes, which with a city of population 884,000 works out to be nearly seven syringes for every man, woman, and child there. Farrell, the city's mayor, however, pointed out his attempts to address the, quote, unintended consequences of the city's policy, including proposing to spend $750,000 a year to the San Francisco AIDS Foundation can hire workers just to collect used syringes. Now, there's a lot of issues within that article, a lot of issues within the drug epidemic, needle-using drug users. And so what San Francisco has attempted to do to cut down on HIV and the spread of diseases, you know, we, these guys are addicted to drugs, okay, that's, that's for sure. So what we need to do is give them 400,000 needles per month to not use needles simultaneously or duplicitously. Just use one. And now we're going to have to hire 10 full-time employees. Can you imagine you're working for the government? Yeah, we're for the government. What do you do? Pick up syringes? Me and my nine other buddies all day long, 10-hour days. All we do is pick up syringes one at a time because one epidemic is causing another epidemic. And what happens in a culture, we see it now in this widespread kind of macro version, but in our micro lives is we tend to justify things and make allowances for sin when God says, no, no, just call that a sin. You need to deal with that as you would a sin. Don't make room for it. For example, let's say a rabid dog broke into your house, okay? And this dog doesn't belong there. It has no intention but to do harm there. And your first thought is, well... It's probably going to get hungry. We should feed it. You know, we, it's not going to leave. We should put a little bowl of food over here for this rabid dog so it doesn't get hungry. No, no, no. You don't do that. You find your weapon of choice and you deal with it. You don't, that dog doesn't stay there. The calamity and casualty that that dog will bring upon your little ones, your family, your wife, your neighbors, the rest of the society. Luke, do you hate dogs? No, I don't hate dogs. But you have to be able to read the writing on the wall and say, this is a problem. And if you can't then go to the problem and say, we need to deal with it as such. We need to repent. Jesus had just previously said, repent or perish. You have to call your sin a sin. Otherwise, you're not going to deal with it as a sin. You're going to make liberties and allowances for something that is ultimately going to kill you. And we need to pray for San Francisco, amongst other cities, that somebody would have the leadership and that's not our problem, by the way, but somebody would have the leadership to step up and say, you know what? We need to address the problem as a problem <laughs> and not, not some other way. Don't get distracted by San Francisco, by the way, or my chocolate chip cookie problem. What is it in your life right now that you're just going to keep making allowances for, and then you're going to go looking for fruit, and there's not going to be any fruit. You're going to have to hire other people in your life to help pick up the mess. People are going to have to come around you and say, well, we'll help you out because you didn't deal with this the way you should have dealt with this. Jesus would teach sermons so intense that he would say, if your eye causes you to sin, here's a fork, pluck it out. 
If your hand causes problems with you, cut it off. His point wasn't to dismember yourself, just so you know. Okay, literalist, just so you know. His point was to be serious with the issue. Deal with it. Don't make margins for it. Get after it. And our excuses for whatever it is that we deal with, body, mind, and spirit, they grow faster than our heads can produce them, and we just, they flow in these excuses. We, we see it when we're young people. And San Francisco has a real problem, and until they repent of it, they're going to, I love the quote in here, unintended consequences. What, what were the unintended consequences? Thousands of needles everywhere. Quarter, three quarters of a million dollars just going to clean up a mess. And when we deal with our stuff and let the Lord be the Lord, I think that's when fruit begins to be born. I'm just being honest with you guys. You can't just minimize the reality of your actions and say it's not a sin. This is one of the huge problems in church today and lives in general is people won't call their problems a sin. Sin's actually a three-letter bad word now, isn't it? You can't even use that word. Just so you guys know what sin is, by the way, lest you be easily offended. The word sin is an archery term, and it literally means to miss the mark, to not be perfect. And if you ask any single person with any ounce of brain power whatsoever, if they're perfect, you know what they'll say? No, nobody's perfect. Exactly. Now just keep going there and quit making excuses for yourself in your imperfections. Nobody's perfect. Everyone is imperfect. Everyone has sin. And once you realize that as a believer, you're like, yeah, what's the big deal? The big deal is when you mask your sin, when you cover it, when you justify it. The fruit begins to be born, though, when you unpack it and say, yeah, Lord, would you search me and know my heart? Find the wicked stuff, and let's get after it. Let's deal with it. I mentioned this a month ago. I'm going to say it again. Here's the three C's of repentance, okay? Number one is confession. You start there. You agree with the word of God. You confess it to be true, and everyone else a liar. Have you done that yet? Has the word of God become in you the guide and the source? Now, you're not right, and that's easy to spot. Okay, I'm not right either. When people point out my stuff, I'm like, what else? You know, you got to see anything else. Duh! But this book is our guide. Yesterday, I was getting the church's van washed at the Young Life fundraiser at the car wash there at uh, Honda. And I was standing next to somebody I didn't know, and I was talking, and I was just talking about the church. And, and so she asked me about the church, and, and I said, South Beach Church. And she you know, asked what kind of church it was, and I said, it's a Calvary Chapel. And she said, how would it compare to a universalist Unitarian uh, church? I said, well, you know. <laughs> I, said, I, said, well, I said, what we do is we, we teach through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and we believe it to be true, and we seek to make application to our lives from the Bible. Whatever it says, we we try and do. It's that simple. I said, unlike the Universalist Unitarian Association that kind of accepts everything is okay and right. And that was the end of the conversation. I wasn't trying to pick a bone. I didn't grab the water and spray or anything like that, you know. (laughs) But but, but it was, you know, point of question. What's the difference? I said, well, we believe the Bible and we seek to make application. Okay? We want it, we want, we want to read it and then apply it. And when we read it and say, oh, wow, Huh, if I eat nine cookies a day times seven days a week, oh, huh, that's a sin. That's, a, that's not going to, okay. And then I apply that to my life and I don't do that. And when I read Body, Mind, Spirit, what the Bible says about addiction and not being brought under the power of anything. And Paul said this in his epistles. All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. And I will not be brought under the power of anything. Have you cycled that verse through in your life? 
recently in the, in the addictions and the vices that are controlling you and dominating your thinking? And you're like, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I, okay, cool. But you're not there yet. Okay? And if you're not there yet, there's, there's still places to fix up in, in your spiritual life. And there's still areas where you can submit to the Lord. So the first thing you do is you confess that the Bible's right and you're wrong. You just bring that confession. This is so fun. If you're dealing with sin here today and there's something going on and you maybe you don't even know, just confess it. Just bring, bring it out there. This might not even mean you know what to do next, but at least you know what's true and what's not true. Okay, I have had conversations with people before that confess the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. I'm like, okay, well, we're not going to get anywhere. Now we're just, you know, you can't. And I've had conversations too with believers that say, no, I believe what the Bible says is true and I'm wrong. I'm like, woohoo, here's a cookie. You know, I'm just kidding. But, but, but we, we can move forward then. Second thing is, is contrition. You want to repent well? Confess that you're wrong. Confess the Bible's right. Just do it. Second thing is contrition, okay? Feel some remorse for your sin. Okay, just, just feel it. If it wasn't for your sin, Jesus wouldn't have been murdered he wouldn't have died and i've talked to christians before that know they've sinned but they're not really broken up about it whatever dude i just got caught if i wouldn't have got caught man it's like dude what are you talking about god loves you You got caught because god loves you and you haven't even let that touch you yet i'm so thankful at this point in my life 40 years old i'm so thankful when the holy spirit just busts me i'm like oh you saw that he's like yeah dude see it all bro and the lord whispers in my heart he's like but let's but we can deal with it we can right now Confess it and let's move on, dude. Let's get on with it. And the second, no, no, third thing, I taught you this a month ago, not just confession and contrition, but then the, the work begins in change. Okay, this is where we see the fruit begin in our lives, where the work happens, where you do things differently, where you make that big boy or big girl decision to change. I'm gonna do it differently. My finances, I'm gonna do it differently. My, my social life, I'm gonna do it differently. What I put into my ears or my eyes or into my body, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change and then you're going to see fruit growing. And look at how Jesus introduces this. Verse 6 again. He says this. He also spoke this parable. I just love how Jesus wants us to have opportunities to repent. He preached and he taught the truth. And then he told stories in order to get people to repent. And he issues this warning that if we don't repent, we're going to perish and it's as if he really, 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 really doesn't want us to perish. So he begins to tell stories. And Jesus was a great storyteller. The scriptures are full of parables. There are parables within the Bible that are the most famous stories in the world today. The sower and the seed, the good Samaritan parables, stories that didn't actually happen but are told to illustrate principles. And the thing about a story is that it kind of creeps up on you. The truth is the truth, and it may be like black and white and two-dimensional, but a story just kind of, one guy called it their theological ninjas because they just sneak up on you and just whack you when you're not looking. And they, they underscore a theological principle, but they, they just, they illustrate something deeper so we might understand them. You've heard of the prodigal son. It's a story. Sower in the seed, it's a story. The man who built his house on the rock versus the man who built his house on the sand. My wife's upstairs in the eight to 10 year old, no, no, five to seven year old room teaching one of Jesus's parables today about the unforgiving servant, the one who was forgiven much and then had a hard heart towards somebody who owed him. She's teaching that parable to the kids that they might understand life, that if you've been forgiven, stop being a jerk, you know. Be nice. And if we all, if, especially Christians, if we all knew how much we were forgiven, you know what I'm saying? Holy smokes. If you really knew how much you'd been forgiven, like all the time on your mind, you would be so kind. You would walk into Fred Myers and be like, no way, people, you know. I love you. And 
Somebody would cut you off. That's okay. Everybody, everybody, you know. If you knew. But we forget. And so Jesus tells these stories. One of the greatest stories in the Old Testament that, that never happened is just a, it's just a story. It's fake. And yet it was told in order to, to help a man repent. King David had committed a sin. He had lied and committed adultery and covered it up by murdering Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And he hid it from everybody. Some people did know. Okay? His servants knew. Bathsheba knew. And for over a year, he hid this sin. He tried to act normal. And the Bible says he became so unhealthy physically that his whole body began to hurt. You ever hide sin before? Man, it just ah, eats you up. And he did that for over a year. And then his buddy Nathan showed up. Nathan walks over. He trusted Nathan. And Nathan told him a story. It's a parable. He told him a story about a rich guy who had all kinds of herds of lambs and sheep. This guy had everything. And there was another guy, the neighbor, who only had one little lamb. And the rich guy was having company over. And so the rich guy wanted to feed them. And instead of sacrificing one of his many lambs, he went over to the poor guy and he grabbed his lamb that was like a daughter to him. And he killed that lamb, cooked it up, and fed it to his guests. And the guy who lost his lamb, the one lamb, was brokenhearted and destroyed. And that was the story. It never happened, just a parable. And David, when he heard that, clenched his fists and pulled his sword out. He said, that man needs to die for doing that. And Nathan's like, uh, uh. And he says, it's you, bro. It's you. That's what happened. You have wives already. You have a life. You have everything. Your man Uriah was your, was your leader. He was out fighting the battle for you and you lusted after his wife and you took his one wife and, and you killed him and you, you wrecked the whole thing. And when David heard that story, he'd been convicted already. He'd been dealing with it. He'd been hiding it. And when he heard that story, this parable, it was such a, such a legit response to a horrible action. He's like, dang it, you're right. I did it, I did it. And it's almost like Nathan was surprised at his reaction. He's like, whoa, that's a good, that's a, that's a decent reaction right there. You owned it, because you could have dodged it. Well, you don't know. What do you, you know, here's how it went. You gotta look at it from my point of view. And, and, and I talked to this one guy over here. He said, it's okay, after 10 months, it's, you know, statute of limitations. You know, so, you know, David didn't do any of that. David said, dang it. And immediately, Nathan says, oh, dude, that's a stellar response. You know what, here's a couple things gonna happen. Number one, you're forgiven, number one. You are forgiven because you stand in the place of honesty and openness. Number two, unfortunately, your actions are real, okay? It happened. You pulled the trigger, the bullet went out. It's causing damage. There will be some consequences, but you won't lose the kingdom. You will be restored. We will get through this. When I meet with men and women, marriages falling apart and people who've destroyed everything and they have a countenance of contrition and confession and they want to change, I can smile, I can hold their hand and hand them Kleenex because they're snotting everywhere. And I can promise them, guess what? We're gonna, we're gonna get through this. We're gonna get through this. We're gonna get through this. This isn't gonna derail you. This isn't gonna undo you. There's grace to come. The kingdom won't be taken from you because of your simple attitude towards God's righteousness. And that came in that story from a parable, by the way, from a friend named Nathan who cared. Okay, Nathan wasn't mean. And just like Jesus here isn't mean, saying, I'm going to look for fruit, and if there isn't any there, it's over. Jesus says, I've been looking for fruit for three years. That's kind of gracious. Three years I've been peeking. What's going on? What's going on? You still, oh, no, no fruit. I'll come back. I'll come back. It's good. David had resisted repenting for over a year, but that year was painful also. Fruitlessness. 
And fruit's important. We talked about this last week because fruit, fruit identifies what team we're on. It, it, it helps us to know we're progressing in the things of God. And you might be able to say, I'm a Christian. <clears throat> I say, well, how, how's that? Well, I got saved. I, I got a Jesus' real shirt and Man, I got a sticker, SBC sticker, and you know, and I'm like, take that sticker off your car until you learn to drive like a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm saying? Holy Spirit, help us. You'll notice I still don't have an SBC sticker on my car. <laughs> help me, Jesus. Man, Jesus is right there with me in the car. Just hey, Luke. Luke, why are you driving that way? Oh, amen. And it's a, pro- it's a process, isn't it? You got your, your fruit. It, it grows, and it's beautiful, and it's difficult, and the Lord exposes you, and he, he's, he's relentless in his commitment to you, but he's relentless in his pursuit of growth in your life. And I've heard it said before, if you didn't, or if you got enough, or if you didn't get enough Jesus in your life to, to change your life, you might not have gotten enough Jesus, you know, in your life to save your soul. And is there, is there change? kind of a simple question. Is there change? I think there is. Fruit matters. Let me just talk about this because I want you guys to understand this. Here's, here's what the Bible says about fruit. It tells that in Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, it lists the attributes of fruit. I believe there's one fruit of the Spirit, it's love, and the attributes are listed as eight uh, in fold. But the first one is love, Galatians 5 22. And it, let me just ask you this question. Have you ever met a Christian who's not full of love? Isn't that weird? A Christian, not full of love. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, if you're a Christian but you don't have love, you actually don't have anything. You're the worst. He said, you could have gifts. You could speak in tongues. You could give everything you own. You could be kind, benevolent, wise beyond measure. But if you don't have love, you're, you're appalling to people's ears and lives. And I just would say that to you. Like, if you're looking for, I want to be a Christian. I'm going to heaven. Yeah! Okay, now what? Do you really have love? Ask God for it. And, and buckle in, by the way. Once God starts to give you love for people, okay, it's just life, life slows down a little bit. You begin to make eye contact more. You see what's going on. You're like, holy smokes. Whoa, I'm not as busy. Whoa, you're made in the image of God. Whoa. And you start to see people. And the love starts to grow. It's part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the next one that he lists in Galatians 5 is joy. Okay, this is the fullness of God living in you. It's very similar to, to, to love. Have you ever seen a joyless Christian before? Like a Christian that looks like they just got baptized in pickle juice. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and if you were to like quiz them, like, you know, are you a Christian? Yes. Okay, cool. So have your sins been forgiven? Yes, all of them. Oh, okay. And so, so you're going to heaven when you die and not hell for eternal torment? Yes. <laughs> is, there, is there anything in your life that you're, you know, joyful about right now? Yes, many things. You know, you're like, what things, you know? And it's just a disconnect. Let the joy grow. You got you to, gotta like, the weeds will creep in. Stuff's going to creep in. Because life's, you know, you get headaches. You get sore. You get tired. You get weird. You get disappointed. You know, we got we emotions. And joy's not always there, I understand that. But joy is, in my opinion, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You can have joy, right? You can just, you can just make room for it. Get the weeds out of your garden and let that joy grow. The third one listed is peace. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm just going to repeat these quickly. Peace, I like this fruit a lot because we live in a society that loves stress and trauma and chaos. 
We just, we love it. Whether you, lo- whether you want to believe it or not, we love it. If I told you right now, dude, did you hear? No, no, tell me right now. Like that would be your response. I'm just messing with you. I don't have anything. And you'd be bummed. Like, oh, I thought you had something, dude. Something I was going to freak out about. You know, it's like a bone we chew on. Just, we love it. Just test me on this. The Bible says, I want to give you peace. That's been my prayer for Jeff Chestnut as he drives up. They just have crazy peace. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I feel, I feel almost irresponsible. And did you know that as a Christian, you are allowed to have irresponsible peace? Okay? Where it doesn't make sense that you would be nice to the people around you, full of joy, love, and peace. In the midst of chaos, I have the image of a person walking through Armageddon, okay, downtown New York. Buildings falling, bombs coming in, and the person just whistling. You know, it's like, like, dude, do you see what's happening? Like, yeah, I got the peace of God. I'm good. You know, it's like, okay, you know. It's almost irresponsible, like, but you can be if you want to be. It's your choice. Let that grow. What about kindness? This is thrown in the list. Being a nice person to every single person you meet, not just friends. Try this out. Make room for this in your garden. It's fun to be nice to people you know, isn't it? Isn't it kind of easy? Be kind to somebody you know. I find myself, though, to people I don't know, Luke Frechette is not a nice guy. He's not kind to every single person. The Holy Spirit within Luke Frechette is kind and full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, and self-control. He is full of that. But if I just, you know, go in with Luke Frechette's best, careful, careful. You don't want to do that. Goodness. This would be deep, abiding characteristics of the Lord. Just be a good man or a good woman. Have you met somebody good in your life, like a good person? So awesome. People you just trust. Okay. How about you be that person? You seek to be a good person. I'm going to be good, okay? Not sinless, that's not what I mean, but I'm going to be a good person. What about faithfulness? I think this one's important for our younger people to just be faithful to the call of God, to your family. You say, I have such a, such a and, and we make excuses. There's excuses that'll run through your entire mind, your entire life, your entire week, this, your entire, your mind this entire week. Okay, sorry, allergy medicine. You're going to make excuses all week long of why you can't do these things. You can't be good. You see how stressed out I am? can't be nice. I can't be patient. By the way, if you pray for patience and want patience, just do the math. I'm just telling you right now, Lord, make me patient. God is going to give you summer traffic in, in Newport. Ah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Tomorrow when you are late, when everyone forgets how to drive, when nothing goes right tomorrow, God says, I'm going to give you patience. You seem to think it's going to be fun. Like, I want patience. Really? Okay. You know, slow people. Lord, give me love for people. He's going to give you unloving people, unlovable people. It's just the way it works. What about gentleness? I like this, that it's a fruit of the Spirit of God. Because a lot of people have a weird idea about God. Yeah, he's gentle. You ever think about that? He's just gentle. He wants us to be gentle. And the last one listed in this list is self-control. And this one, I think, is, it's, it's interesting that, that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. All these other attributes, love, peace, joy, patience, kindness. Self-control. It's kind of like one of those wild card ones thrown in there. Well, by the way, if the Holy Spirit's growing in you, you're going to have self-control. This is the opposite of selfism, self-love, self-actualization, selfishness, self, self. It's self-control. This is the exact opposite of what our culture wants right now. Our culture says it's all about you. The Bible says, no, it's all about controlling you, saying no to you, self-control. And if you're honest at all, there are crazy things that go through your mind every day. I mean, just just weird things. 
And you better put a self-control filter on that bad boy. Like, no, don't say that ever. Don't ever think that again in Jesus' name ever, you know. It's fruit of the Holy Spirit, self-control. In, in this passage, it says that he comes to this fig tree, and it's his, and it's his vineyard. There's a verse that helped me wrestle with these issues. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I'll read it to you. It says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They're his, plural, possessive. He owns you. How did he? And if he doesn't own you, the devil does. So you might, you know, if you're here and you're a young Christian, like, I don't want to be owned by anybody. Well, that's not how it works. Okay, you were born into this thing. And you have a father. It's either the father of death or the father of life. Who do you want to live for? I love living for God. I love looking at my life saying, dude, not the heck, dude. It's this guy trying to pull Luke for shit. Stop that. I live for Jesus and say no to the flesh. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, one of my favorite all-time verses, bringing your body into submission to the Lord. Your body, your feelings, your emotions are all his. Here's the question. Do you trust him for that? I do. If you're dealing with trust issues, can I trust the Lord? Know that he loves you. He asks you to trust him. Matter of fact, look at verse 7. It says, Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? This is God's righteous judgment. And yet we also see God's grace. But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also and dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, then well. And if not, then you can cut it down. He talks about digging and exposing the roots. We talked about that last week. We also talked about last week how this parable is open-ended. It doesn't show the ending of this tree. It doesn't say what happens. And there's some parables that God just tells this story and he puts it right in your lap and says, what are you going to do? It's your choice. God will labor long with you. He's got you here to this point. What are you going to do? Let me give you six ways that you can produce fruit in your life. You can write these things down. I've talked to you what fruit is. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness, goodness, um, self-control. Here's six ways that you can find fruit bearing in your life. Number one, make room for the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay, get closer to him and honor his voice, honor his leading, respond to him when he tells you to do something or to stop doing something. And here's a quick way to do that. How often do you check in with the Lord? Is it, is it morning and evening? A lot of us do that. You wake up, you pray, you go to bed, you pray. Some of us pray when you eat. Some of you guys only connect with the Lord on Sundays. It's the only time you ever get serious about the Lord. Your whole week's just godless. Okay, maybe not sinful, but godless. Here's what I would encourage you. Just connect with the Lord. Just, just connect. If, if you're like me, you pull your phone out of your pocket six to 20,000 times per day. Okay, you just pull it out. Pull it out. You pull it out. You pull, you just, I'm just going to look again. I'm going to look again. You connect. Bring that under control and do that with the Lord. How you doing? How you doing? Well, how, how am I doing? What are we doing? What did I just do? You know, and, and connect with the Lord. And as you make room for the Lord in your life, you're going to produce more fruit. It's just the way it is. You can use all kinds of ways to do this. You can use post-it notes on your dashboard. You can use reminders, alarms. You can have a devotional at noon. You can read. You can do all kinds of stuff. This morning when I woke up, about 5.30, I swung my knees out. I put them on the ground. And I just stayed there. And I just prayed. My first prayer was for Marianne. I just began praying for Marianne again. And I was praying for you guys. I'm praying for this service. It was just so sweet, just sitting there, praying. 
just, thank, just connecting with the Lord. And then I went downstairs and I prayed some more and I studied some more and prayed some more. Just connect with the Lord. If you want fruit, connect with him more and more. Make room for the Holy Spirit. Number two, here's how you're gonna do that. Get rid of the obvious sin in your life or the weights that pull you down. Okay, prune it back. This happens on different levels and different scales throughout your Christian journey. There's certain obvious things that need to go like right now, today, quickly. Then there'll be other things in your life such as nine cookies in one sitting or whatever the case may be that just need to be dealt with, body, mind, and spirit. And the Lord may have given you, dare I say, allowances for certain things for a certain time and then he's gonna say, no more. Let's get crazy. Let's get, stop being lazy. I want you to get up and read. I want you to go to bed early. I want you to journal. I want you to serve. No more not going to Sunday school. I want you to serve. I want you to go to the jail. I want you to go on a mission trip. I want you to do something. I want you to lead a life group. I want you to talk to the pastor. I want you to get counseling. Get rid of the obvious sin and the weights. Do stuff. Number three, make a plan for your, with your pain. Okay, learn from your mistakes like King David did. Instead of brushing under the rug, he embraced the mistakes that he had made in God's grace and the beautiful process of fruit was cultivated. You guys got to get this. I hate making mistakes. I hate being wrong. I hate offending people. I hate blowing it. I hate being a sinful person. I hate hurting the people that I love most. Ah, it's the worst. Guess what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so if you could learn to embrace that like David did and say, yeah, 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 you're right. That was me. What do we do now? Okay, well, now we navigate forward. Now we get through it and we produce fruit. Make a plan from your pain. Don't just waste the pain. Number four, three more and we're done. Set a goal for change and learn from other people who are already doing life well. You know anybody in your life that you admire? The way they run their house, the way they run their business, the way they, they know God? Set a goal and emulate what you see. Meet with that person. Ask him questions. Get serious. I got a text from a friend of mine two days ago. And said, can I use your office on Monday to meet with a certain couple that's going to give me financial counseling? I said, yes, because this person needs financial counseling. And they're doing it. They're finding somebody else ahead of them that knows how to spend money and budget and save and discipline. And so they're, they're growing. Set a goal and learn from other people. Number five, have a theology of busyness, not laziness. Okay, don't just wait for things to get better. And don't just accept things that, that aren't great. Get to work. Get after it. Body, mind, spirit, what's going on? Is there something, something wrong, something out of order? Don't be lazy. Don't have a theology of laziness or fatalism. Okay, fatalism would say, you know what? If God wants me to grow, he'll grow me. He'll do it. If God wants me to, you know, figure that out, I'll figure it out. It'll be him. That's like saying to yourself when you're hungry in your living room, if God wants me to have a sandwich, he'll make one for me. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, bro. Get up and make a sandwich. I'm so hungry, Lord. <laughs> if you want me to eat. No. Lord gives you pains on purpose to take care of yourself. You got pain in your, in your spirit and in your emotions, your finances. You got pain there? Do something about it. Number six, we're going to see this in the next, next couple of sections where Jesus goes to church. If you want fruit in your life, make going to church a regular thing. Okay, decide now to be that woman, that man, that family, go to church. You guys are at the 9 a.m. I see a lot of familiar faces. You guys are churchgoers. But can I encourage you who've made that decision and those who haven't yet, go to church. Make it like a, a done deal. Like you don't go, 
if you're out of town or you, you've got people over, or even then you could probably make an adjustment there, you, you go to church unless you have Ebola, you know, like you're going to go. And I say that because in the next opening verses, Jesus goes to church and a woman shows up and she gets healed. And what if she streamed the service that day? You know what I'm saying? What if she skipped? Jesus is at church. He's doing stuff. You want fruit in your life? I want fruit in my life as well. I'm going to have the worship team come up and join us. Don't make excuses. Don't settle for less. Last week and the week before, I believe I quoted a scripture out of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. And it's a word that was given to Zechariah to give to Zerubbabel. And he told Zerubbabel, you're going to finish the work you began 17 years ago. You're going to finish the temple, bro. You quit. You started working, laid a foundation, you got hijacked, you got scared, you got weird, you got, you, got, you got derailed. And Zachariah says, dude, I got this crazy word from the Lord. You're going to finish. You're going to be the one to lay the cornerstone, bro. And Zerubbabel started 17 years earlier and things went weird. He's like, nah, dude. He's like, dude, trust me. Here's how. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Zechariah 4, 6. And it was a promise from God to Zechariah that Zerubbabel would know that what God had began, God was going to finish. That even though there was this hiatus, this lapse, this weirdness, this fruitless section of his life, David had 10 months of fruitlessness. And the Lord said, I'm done with that. You done with that? Are you done? You done with fruitlessness? Let's do it. Let's, let's deal with it. Let's have communion. Let's barbecue. It's what he said to David, let's move on. That's what he said to Zerubbabel. Let's keep building, bro. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. On Friday, I went to a homeschool conference in Albany with my wife. And there was about 2,000 people gathered in the auditorium. And the man speaking, he gave such a simple message about leading your family in the things of God. It was, it was something I agree with and do and have done. And when he said it, though, I was like, oh, yeah, I could do more. I could lead my family better for sure. Easy. And immediately, within 10 minutes after showing up to this conference, 10 minutes driving and all the rest, sacrifice, whatever, I got what I needed. I was like, that's it. That's it. I'm not done. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do more for my two sons and my daughter and for my wife. Not by my, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not going to be me because I can't do nothing, but it's going to be his faithfulness. I can't produce figs. I can't do that, but I can abide. I can abide in the vine. I can hang out with Jesus. And the Bible promises me and declares to you that if we hang out with Jesus, if we make our time with Jesus, if we love Jesus, if we desire Jesus, that fruit will be ours. You will change. Instead of making promises to not do or to do certain things, before we take communion, if you just would, would want to be with Jesus more and abide with him, John 15, if you would want more of him, would you just raise both your hands to the Lord right now and just surrender? Raise both your hands to the Lord right now and surrender. Lord, I surrender to you. Letting go of everything. I just want to be with Jesus more. You're it. You are the, the supreme goal. You're not a means to an end. You are the means and the end. And Jesus, our hands are raised. We need you. We want you. We love you. We're all messed up. We're confused. We're diluted and misdirected. And Lord, we raise our hands and ask for a healing touch upon the direction of our souls, our lives, our bodies, our spirits. Lord, forgive us. Everything else, you can put your hands on. Everything else is lesser, Jesus. We confess that. You are supreme. 
everything. It's not just on a Sunday or in a morning devo. It's all day long. So Holy Spirit, we cling to you. Bless us now as we come to the table and remind ourselves of your great love and commitment toward us. That when we were yet sinners, you died for us. That all of our sins can be paid for. Even this morning, if you haven't yet accepted Jesus in your heart as the substitute for your death, you do not have to be held accountable for your sins if you trust that Jesus paid for them. If you confess that you are a sinner and believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day, you will be saved. And this communion time is for you. And those who have already done that, or who already believe that, this is your time of worship, reconciliation, and peace with your maker. And so we thank you, Jesus. This is what you do. You make fruit. You make all things beautiful. We do what we do now, examining ourselves, agreeing with you, and proclaiming your death until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...